delighted and encouraged in Jesus. So let me give you just a recap of where we have been these last few weeks. If you're hanging out with us online or it's your first time here, uh, we have been walking through uh, 1 John. I actually look back this last year at the teaching calendar, um, and we've, we are going to be spending, we've spent over 22 out of the 50 weeks in a uh, exegetical teaching through a book, which is cool. So half the year, we're doing topical. Half the year has been working through a book. We've done Colossians, Exodus, now we're in 1 John. And here's the last couple weeks, if you uh, missed out. We're talking about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this world? What do followers of Jesus do? How do they live in this world? And John tells us pretty directly. Uh, week one, we talked about disciples of Jesus walk in the light. They confess sin. They don't just stay in the darkness. Week two, disciples are known by their obedience to Jesus. Don't just talk about Jesus and hear his word. They end up obeying Jesus. Uh, week three, disciples are known by their love for one another. Uh, if anything, we should be known for an outside looking in is that we love one another like Jesus did sacrificially. And then last week, disciples deny their flesh in the world to love God. We say no to the world so that we can say yes to God because there's a myth that the Satan wants to give us that we can have the best of both worlds. And Jesus says you can't love and serve two masters. So you choose one. We choose to follow Jesus over the world. And so we're going to continue that. We're in chapter 4 of 1 John. And here's the question I want to ask today. And it's the question that John's going to answer. How do I discern if someone is speaking the truth about God? How do I discern if someone is speaking the truth about God? How do I know when someone's out there speaking on behalf of God as a, at a TED Talk, as a, a religious leader, at a school um, as a politician, uh, as a company, whatever, whoever's speaking out there, saying things about God and life, how do we know they're speaking the truth? John gives us some really clear answers that we'll get into, but just a couple reasons why this matters, because you might be looking at that question and going, it's pretty simple. I, I, don't need, I, I know who's speaking the truth. We look at the Bible and it's done. Um, we have to slow down to realize why John's message back then, 2,000 years ago, would land on us today. And, and you and I know this. Uh, in our lives, in our technologically advanced culture, we listen to a lot of voices every day. We listen to a lot of voices. Or maybe put it a different way, there are a lot of voices fighting for our attention. Amen? A lot of voices fighting for your attention the music we listen to, the social media that we're on, the movies we watch, the books we read, the companies that are advertising, uh, the politicians that are speaking. They, and, and everyone, if you didn't know, uh, and even you, everyone has their own agenda. Everyone wants to push something forward. Everyone has a view of life. Everyone wants to accomplish something. It's not wrong, but no one's neutral. Everyone has a perspective, everyone has a voice, and we have opened up our ears because of the culture we live in where everyone's voice is pouring into our ears. If you didn't know, if you're just thinking, oh, well, that's harmless, a book here, a movie here, this news channel, this social media account, that's harmless, Chris. But you should know because of what Jesus talks about that what we give our attention to, what you put your ears to, what we give our attention to is what we allow to shape our mind and our heart. Or in other words, we are formed by what we follow. There's a reason why when you go on Facebook, what's the button you click? Follow. 
You're following someone. That's intentional. You're following their journey, following their pictures. You're seeing everything going on. But you are, you're following their agenda. You're following what they're putting out there. And so whatever you give your attention to, don't be fooled into thinking that's harmless. Whether you even actively agree with it or not, if it goes in, it's somehow shaping you at some level. For better or for worse. Whatever you put in is going to shape what you think about, how you see life, and how you see the world. If that didn't work, then opening the Bible wouldn't work in forming us. But that is a principle that God created in the world, that what we give our attention to forms us. So when we open the Bible, we're formed by it. And so we should want to know who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth, who's speaking on behalf of God accurately, and who's a false teacher, because what we listen to is shaping everything. And so if you want to know the desires you have, or if you look at your desires, you can trace back and go, man, maybe that desire, maybe that way of seeing people, uh, I trace it back to maybe this news channel, this agenda, this thing. I don't even want to feel this way about these people or think this, but because I listen to this so much, it has shaped my affections and my perspective. But John gives us another reason why it's important that we know how to discern the true voices. It's not just because what you give attention to is what you're formed by, but he says this in the passage we're going to read. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Catch this. Four, can we read this together? One, two, three. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is telling us, and this is no different from, from, from 2,000 years before, that there are many false prophets in the world. What does that mean? Uh, we, won't, we don't think of people as prophets anymore. You can think of them as false teachers. There are many people teaching what is false. Like I said, everyone has an agenda. And whether people are pushing out truth to actively be deceptive or they're just pushing out the truth that they've regurgitated, everyone has an agenda and not everyone is speaking the truth. And we should know that because when we look at the array of voices we listen to, there's contradictions. We know that just in the last couple of years. <laughs> Whenever I turn, and this is might offend you, but it's not my job to care. Uh, when you turn on the news, what happens when you watch Fox News? It's always the opposite of CNN. Why is that? And CNN's always the opposite of Fox News. Why is that? You can laugh, it's okay. No one's gonna, no one's gonna tell you by the frequency of your laugh that you watch one channel or another. <laughs> it's always the opposite. Like, I won't get into example, but it's always the opposite. Why? You, both sides can't claim the truth that they contradict each other. John says there are many false prophets out there. Not everyone is speaking the truth. People put spin on things. And Jesus raises the bar even more. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What is that supposed to mean? It means this, that false prophets aren't wearing a shirt saying they're false prophets. No one's walking around with a sign saying, don't believe me, I'm lying to you. No, they're actually walking around saying, you should believe me, I have the truth. And Jesus says, you should be careful because the false prophets aren't walking around like looking like wolves. They look like sheep. 
And isn't that what Jesus says about Satan? That Satan masquerades himself as what? An angel of light. If you think Satan's walking around with a pitchfork and, and the, the, the horns, it's not, that's not strategic. <laughs> oh, I got you. Surprise. No, he's walking around looking like one of us so that he can sneak into the ranks and deceive people. That's how the truth stands out from the lies is that you finally get to see as they speak, but they sneak in. They're sneaky. It's deceptive. It's not straightforward. So here's the questions I want to work through. Number one, and you'll see we'll work through the text. How do we discern when someone's speaking on behalf of God? How do we know someone's telling the truth? We're going to look at what John says. Number two, why is this the distinguishing mark? He gives a very straightforward and I would say shocking way to discern the truth. So I want to unpack why this is so important. Why does John use this out of all the things? And then lastly, we'll land on what does this mean for us? We'll be able to discuss together in our formation times and then we'll receive communion as we respond in worship. Would you do this for me? Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Uh, I want you to read it out loud on, this, on the screen. This is in the message version. So you might not have it, so we can read it together. It should be two slides. Yep, two slides. So on the count of three, you can read it through. One, two, three. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. Here's how you test for the genuine spirit of God. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. This is the spirit of Antichrist that you heard was coming. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I love the way the message explains it. Very simply put, don't believe everything you hear. It's a good song. Don't believe everything you hear. That's so helpful. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. There are lying preachers, the same word for false prophets. There are people out there loose in the world that are not telling the truth. So the question remains, then how do we know when someone is telling the truth or not? John is pretty clear. He wants us to look at the people that are speaking and look for the person that confesses that Jesus is fully God and fully human. That the Messiah, the, the Christ, the Savior, came in flesh and walked this earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. If you're looking through it, if you take John's answer from the scriptures, and you're asking the question, how do we discern if someone's telling the truth on behalf of God, speaking the truth about God? What John says is you have to hear from that person. That person has to confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he is fully God and fully man. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus of Nazareth was not a prophet. There's religions out there like Islam who claim they love Jesus and Jesus is in the Quran, and they claim that Jesus is a prophet. And that's great. And that's respective, and, and that's, that's reverence for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't a prophet. Jesus wasn't another religious leader. 
Jesus wasn't just a good moral teacher, even though people have his sayings on bumper stickers, and he has good teachings. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't a good moral teacher. He was 100% God, the sovereign ruler and creator. At the same time, 100% God and 100% fully human. Not 50-50, not a little bit of God and a little bit of man. 100% human and 100% God. And so when John says, this is how you discern if someone's speaking on behalf of God, they have to have the right Christology, the right view of Jesus. Everything, John says, comes down to your view of Jesus. If you, the implication is, if you have an off view of Jesus, you will have an off view of truth. And so we're not looking and testing the prophets based on what they think about uh, the, the second coming or the rapture or pre-trib or post-trib. We're not testing people on the truth, whether it's six days creation or seven days or a thousand years. It's on Jesus, which I love. Because there are people that have so many views on when Jesus is coming back and how the earth was created, if it was all these things. And, and we, can, we can discern and argue around all the details. But what John says is you need to come in agreement with the confession of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Start there, he says. Start there. Now, why is this the thing? Why is Jesus, why couldn't it be something else? Why can't whatever they're saying just line up with the Bible and be in Proverbs? Or Psalm? Why is this the discerning and distinguishing mark? If you read through your Bibles, you would notice something um, unbelievably simple about the whole story of the Bible. If you zoomed out, oftentimes we're zooming in and we're studying. If you zoomed out, you would see something pretty astounding. The Old Testament the whole Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, the section that most of us don't look at, the whole, whole Old Testament anticipates Jesus. Do you know the first reference of Jesus in the Bible is in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3? Yeah, Genesis 3, right when Adam and Eve fell, God prophesied that one day there will come a day, a man that will crush the snake's head, Satan. Right in the get-go, the first opening pages of the scriptures, Jesus was prophesied, and the whole Old Testament shows off Jesus. The whole Testament anticipates Jesus. The Gospels reveal Jesus. Four books of the Bible in the Gospels, and all they talk about is looking at the person of Jesus. The church is built on Jesus and acts. Jesus is called the cornerstone of the church. The Spirit of God that Jesus ascends to heaven so that he sends the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. What happens? The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes so that he opens our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. Father sends Jesus. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. Salvation comes through Jesus. And at the end of the book, in Revelation, we see a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. Eternity, where we're going to spend endless days in the new creation. And what is at the white hot center of eternity? A lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And all the angels and all the saints around worshiping this slain lamb. Jesus is the center 
of eternity, the focus of the new heavens and the new earth. Paul says it like this in Colossians. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven, the invisible things, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, let's say this together, and created for him. Astounding! All things that you can see and can't see were created through Jesus and for Jesus. The peanut butter jelly sandwich you're going to eat for lunch today, created for Jesus. Your life, created for Jesus. The redwoods in Oakland, created for Jesus. Marriage, created for Jesus. Singleness created for Jesus. All of it created for Jesus. He's the goal of creation. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. In other words, if you would take Jesus out of creation, it would all fall apart. And he is the head of the body, the church. Paul ends with this. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the first person to rise from the dead, that in everything, so that in everything, he might be preeminent. That means he might be first among everyone else. This is why Jesus rose from the dead, that he would be seen as supreme. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not some, all the fullness of God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the true view of Jesus. Not another prophet. He's not one of many religious leaders. He's everything or he's nothing. There is no middle ground that Jesus leaves us with. And if someone is claiming to speak about God and does not align with this revelation of Jesus, John's telling us they are not speaking the truth. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't friends with them. It just means they aren't speaking the truth. I hear oftentimes Christians saying, well, it's not my place to judge. And what I think in the well-intentioned way of saying that, the people are saying, I don't, I'm not God, I don't know people's hearts. And that's true. You're not God, you don't know people's hearts. So you, you shouldn't be judging. But here's what the Bible is, is inferring. You should be able to make judgments. You shouldn't, you're not the judge, but you should be able to make judgments. And what does, it, what does that mean? You should be able to draw a line around what is truth and what is not truth. Why? Because the Bible tells us what is truth and not truth. So to play middle ground and say there is no thing and that person believes their truth and that's true for them, that's actually to not follow the scriptures and to be destructive for someone, to say this is not truth. Oh, that's your truth. It's fine to believe that. Jesus is, his revelation is clear. He doesn't, he doesn't get to change on our interpretation. This implies that what we believe about Jesus, what you and I believe about Jesus, is the most significant factor in how we live and view the world and God. I'm not sure if you're listening online or in here, and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're struggling with faith, maybe you're, you're figuring things out, maybe you have no faith and you're doubting, you don't believe God is real. But I want to say this over every single person here. It's true. 
whether you believe in Jesus or not, that I believe that what you believe about Jesus is the most significant factor in how you view life. Because if Jesus is what the scriptures claim he is, then he has to be the most important or he's nothing. The most significant factor in how we live and view the world and God. So let me take a moment. We've been doing this for the last five weeks. Just to pause and reflect. I want you just to think through this question for yourself. We'll have a different question to discuss. Take two or three minutes. What are the voices you are regularly listening to? The people, the teachers, the songs, the, 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 whatever, the analysis, the, the, the preachers. What, what are the voices that you are regularly listening to? And I want you to filter those voices through this. Do they have an accurate view of Jesus? Do they have this view of Jesus? We're not saying that if people don't have this view of Jesus, they can't speak any truth. That's not what the Bible is saying. But if they're speaking in terms of eternal things or godly things, we should be weary because what John says, that would label them a false prophet if they do not see Jesus as the scriptures in 2,000 years has testified him to be. So let's take two minutes, look in within. What are the voices you are regularly listening to and do they have an accurate view of Jesus? Tang, if you're back there, if you can put a, just some instrumental music on maybe for a moment. Um, let's think through this and then we'll, we'll continue on our last point. Maybe you're thinking through this and you would say, I don't even know if these people have that view of Jesus. But what, what is the voice inside your head? What are the people you are listening to the most? How is that impacting how you view the world and view God? I don't know how often we take a self-inventory of the voices we're listening to. Oftentimes, there's this slap on a podcast, turn on the news when we get home, and just kind of take it for granted. It's just the stuff that we're listening to. But I think what the scripture would encourage us to do is to pause every now and then, take inventory of who is speaking, who are we giving our time and, and our attention to the most. How are those people, how might those people, be well-intentioned, 
be shaping our thoughts and our perspectives. We're listening to someone that always talks about money. Are we catching ourselves always thinking about money? We're listening about people who always talk about sex and drugs. Are we thinking about that lifestyle? I know when I listen to rap, and Pastor AJ was going to bring this up for his point, so I can't use it for mine because he had a different testimony. But he talked about using, uh, listening to hip-hop and rap growing up, <clears throat> and the lyrics weren't the most glorifying uh, of lyrics for people and dignity, and uh, he would catch himself living out the lifestyle of those songs. Why? Because it was the cool thing in his mind. It was the f- on the front of his focus. He surrounded his attention with that, and so, of course, he lived it out. So what we're not saying is don't listen to other voices, but discern what voices are speaking to us because they, are, they have an agenda and they are influencing us. <clears throat> Last question, what does this mean for us? I want to take a little bit of a detour on what John is saying or maybe just look a little bit closer on what John is saying. Let me read the scripture again in the message. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess uh, confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. This is the spirit of Antichrist that you heard was coming. One of the things I saw in here as I was just looking through this was that there is a claim that is being made about Jesus that might not be so obvious here. So I just want to bring out what the claim is that might be not so obvious, but is so relevant to us in this moment. What John is implying underneath this is that to be a true disciple or Christian is to confess the exclusivity of Jesus. If you never heard that phrase, it's basically saying that as a true disciple, you are confessing that Jesus is the only way to God. That Jesus is God in the flesh and there aren't other saviors. The Bible doesn't leave room for interpretation. Acts 4.12 says this, there is salvation in what? Say it a little louder for me. No one else. There's salvation in no one else. For there is no other Name, given under heaven by which we must be saved. No one else, no other name. To be a disciple of Jesus is to believe this about Jesus. See, it all falls apart if you say Jesus is, is great and he's, he does miracles and he loves us and he forgives us of our sin, but he's just one path to God. The Bible doesn't give us room again to think that way. First Timothy says this, for there is what? One God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus. God, there's one God, not many gods. There's one God who rules the universe and who dictates what life is and what morality is and what is good and evil. And there is one, and between humanity, there is one mediator that bridges the gap that sin has separated. Man is separated from God because of sin and unrighteousness And the mediator, Christ Jesus, he's the only one that can bridge the gap. Not one among many. Now, I know it is politically correct to say that Jesus is one of many ways to God. That all other religions are true. 
Chris, you can't be saying that, that my friend who is a great neighbor, who I've known for 30 years, who confesses a different faith, that, that they're believing in a false God. It seems so rude, so uh, not our place, again, to judge. But the Bible leaves us no room. In fact, the implication of truth is that it must have boundaries, like we said. If it's not true, then and everything is a contradiction because everyone's claiming to have the market on God. Either we receive Jesus as who he claims to be or we ignore him completely. He doesn't leave room for anything else. You might have heard the famous uh, deduction from C.S. Lewis that says that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. To say the things that Jesus claimed to say, calling himself God, one with the Father, the only way to God, John 6, to claim those things either makes you a liar, you're deceiving everyone, or a lunatic, he was just confused and, and deranged, or the Lord of all. You can either accept him, C.S. Lewis says, or ignore him, but he doesn't leave room for you just to say he's a good teacher. He's either a liar or he's crazy or he is Lord. Why bring this up? Because I wouldn't want our church, if you're part of this church or you're visiting, you claim to be a Christian and you don't believe in that Jesus is the only way to salvation, then you're gonna miss out on what Jesus has to offer. I said it this way. Those who treat Jesus as something other or lesser than he claimed to be cannot receive what he came to freely give. Let me say it one more time. Those who treat Jesus as something other, a good moral teacher, or lesser, not God, just one of the gods, if you treat him lesser than he claimed to be, then you cannot receive what he came to freely give. In other words, if you want his salvation, you have to claim him as the savior. If you want to be forgiven of your sins, you have to realize he's the only one who died for your sins. And yes, that does mean that every other claim to God is false. But isn't that what it has to mean? That either Jesus was the one and only Savior who did save you from real sins and wrath, or else he was just making it up and then we're all lost. Jesus then becomes our lens by which we read the scriptures, by which we see humanity, and by which we come to know God. Jesus made that claim over and over again in John. I am coming, and as you know me and see me, because the Pharisees were like, show us God. And Jesus is like, you've seen him. And they're like, what do you mean? And he said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let's just sit there for a second. This Jesus, you can, you can literally, I know some friends who just went over there, you can literally walk in his footsteps in Jerusalem. This Jesus, the one who breathed the stars into existence, the one who made the 2.3 trillion galaxies, the one who holds your heart pumping and blood and lungs, the one who made the redwood trees and, and keeps this earth spinning, that Jesus who walked this earth, God in the flesh, and claimed to be God coming down to save humanity. So then, if that's true, then Jesus must be, has to be, intentionally, our lens by which we see everything. You read the scriptures differently when you see Jesus as the only one true savior. You look at life differently when you see it through Jesus. In fact, I would say the only way to really look and have a true view of reality is to see it through Jesus. And every other view is skewed. 
And I know, I, 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 I don't know if I can just feel the tension or I just know that that claim is offensive. That claim is, sounds ignorant. That claim is not welcomed in our society. But loved ones, it's true. It's true. Jesus is the one true Savior. And how you see him affects not only your life now, but affects your eternity. That's what John is saying. So that's why when we talk about church and values and everything, we're talking about we want to make everything about Jesus. Can you see now why we, our, our vision is to practice the way of Jesus? We want to follow Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. We have prayer meetings at school so we can share Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, then you want to share it with other people. If he's just one of many, then there isn't the urgency to help people see Jesus. Maybe that's why for you, you've lost the urgency, the sharpness, the conviction to share with your friends. Is maybe, just maybe, you don't really put all your eggs in the basket and say, no, he is really who he says he is, the only way to God. Because then you would start seeing that people are being misled by false teachers, claiming the way to God, but not having a solution. So let's take some time to unpack this. I want you to let this sit a little bit deeper with you. Turn to your neighbor before we wrap up, and we're going to look at um, one last text as we worship. But here's the question I want you just to process with people. What does it mean to you that Jesus is the only way to God? Do you agree? Do you struggle to believe that? Why so? And look at me in the eyes. If you struggle to believe that, if you're here and you don't believe that, it's, it's a safe place to disagree with that. It's okay. There was a time in my life where I didn't believe that. I laughed at that. And so if you're there and you're struggling to believe, no one's going to condemn you. No one's going to yell at you. Uh, we want to process. But what we don't want to do is assume that we know this stuff, not wrestle with it. Uh, we want to wrestle with it so we can actually get to the bottom of what we believe. Because it doesn't matter what your neighbor believes about Jesus. It's about what you believe. Jesus says, who do you say I am? So let's get down to that. Who do you say Jesus is? And don't just take the Sunday school answer. Who do you really, unpack the layers, who do you really say he is? What does it mean to you that Jesus is the only way to God? Do you agree, struggle to believe? Why so? We'll put a timer on for seven minutes, and then we'll wrap up and be able to uh, take communion together. So let's do that right now. Turn to your neighbor. If you're with someone, you can break up in groups, but keep that two or three people, and uh, I'll, let you, I'll guide you as we close the next seven minutes.